You are listening to a message from City Church, located in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. For more information on City Church, or for additional resources, including service times, recommended readings, and additional audio, please visit citychurchpa.org. For those who don't know me, my name is Larry Stout. I'm one of four, soon to be very soon, one of five uh, elders in this church. And uh, yes, I am the one that wrote the prayer book that we've been using um, this month. But I will warn you that I write better than I talk. So I'm going to stutter around. But bear with me today. Because I really do have some good news and some bad news. We'll start with the bad news. The bad news is the fact that we have an enemy, a deadly enemy. His name is Satan. And, and we read in John 8 that Jesus was in the temple teaching and the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman who had been caught in adultery and they confronted Jesus with this and said, you know, the law says we're supposed to stone her. What do you say? And, and Jesus used that opportunity to really give us a wonderful, almost perfect definition of Satan in, in, in John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. And we Christians are Satan's greatest enemy. But now get this. Satan's power is, is limited. And his greatest weapon is really deception. And this is what Satan used in the garden with Adam and Eve, it was, it was deception, uh, lying about what God had said and confused Eve and ultimately Adam as well. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven three, and by the way, kids, this is probably not a bad one to remember. This is a good verse in 2 Corinthians eleven three, where Paul says, but I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness or cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You know, other than the fear of God, I cannot find a place where Paul admits to fearing anything. And yet he says, when I'm thinking about you, Church of Corinth, I fear that you could become deceived. You know, and get it, get, understand Peter, I'm sorry, excuse me, Paul. Paul once was shipwrecked on an island, gets there, build, he's, he's, you know, he's soaking wet, builds a fire. While he's getting some wood in, a snake comes up and bites him on the hand. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be, <laughs> right? Hello, this is a snake. You know what Paul does? Paul just shoves it into the fire and goes back to eating his meal or whatever. This guy isn't afraid of anything. This guy gets stoned, he gets beaten up. Deception is the one thing that he said he was afraid of. Now that gets my attention, okay? 
But now here's the good news. That's the bad news. The good news is the good news of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. We were dead in our sins without hope in this world. And Christ died for us. 1 Peter 3.18 says it so simply. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. That he may bring you to God. Acts 13, I'm sorry, Acts 16, 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Salvation is open to all. Now you'd say, well, what does this have to do with prayer? You know? But actually everything. Because prayer is one of the most important spiritual disciplines. Yet it also seems for some reason to be one of the hardest Many stumble and struggle with prayer. Because, why? Because it seems like we don't get the answers that we expect or want. Now, I have no greater desire than, than seeing a praying church. Yet I fear that we are buying snake oil when our expectations in prayer, and not necessarily the way we pray or what we pray for, but our expectations in our prayers are being hijacked by the deceiver. And thus we come to believe that God is not answering our prayers. When indeed he is. And I just want to encourage you today. As we're going to look, we are going to get to Acts 10, trust me. But if you've been trained to believe that by praying the right words or the right verses, you're going to get what you want from God. I'm so very, very sorry to tell you that today you've been deceived. Because there is some good news. Every prayer, and I do mean every prayer, that God hears, he answers. And this is, by the way, confirmed from Genesis to Revelation. We have, just to give you one example, we have this thing called midweek devotions that uh, come on Church Center or no, and uh, we get on YouTube. YouTube, it's on YouTube, it's, you can get it on email, uh, it's, it's all over the place. Midweek devotions, City Church midweek devotions, look it up. And we started this back in 2020 because of COVID and, and uh, just to do something, we went through the book of, of uh, Psalms, now we're in Proverbs. Just to take Proverbs, for example, Proverbs 15.8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. Chapter 15, verse 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. The whole Bible covers that. And our prayers don't have to be doctrinally perfect. They could just be in just calling out to God. The most, one of the shortest prayers in the Bible. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus told the story of the tax collector in the sanctuary. Peter is sinking. He was walking on water, took his eyes off, started going, what did he got? Lord, save me. Three-word prayer. In the Old Testament, uh, Moses' sister Miriam 
mocks uh, Moses' wife, and suddenly, instantly, she gets leprosy. And Moses cried out, my God, please heal her. Shortest prayer in the Old Testament. God heard those prayers. God answers these prayers. So now we're going to look at Acts 10. And it's an amazing story, by the way. And I, I, I love the way you, you read it, Joe. I, was, I said, I, my wife and I were listening, thinking, you know, this guy really knows how to read the Bible. I'd like to hear it more. But in terms of, of world history, I just want you to know, this was one of the most important events in human history, what we were just read here in, in Acts chapter 10. And prayer was the key in causing this tremendous paradigm shift that, that took place. It's going to be a complete um, transformation of understanding on how this faith known as Christianity would, would take place and literally change the world. You see, Christianity could have been, very easily, been a sect within Judaism itself. You have Judaism, and then you have this group of people who believe that Jesus was Messiah, and so they're a, you know, a subset of, of Judaism. It could have been. It, it could have been that way. If it was up to Peter and Paul, it probably would have been that way, because they were very good Jews. But something very radical happened that changed everything, which is in Acts chapter 10. So let's look at this now. In verse 1 and 2, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man, feared God, along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. Now, number one, we don't know exactly how this happened. It could very well have been Philip, because we read in chapter 8 of Acts that Philip went to Caesarea, so that could have happened, but the scripture doesn't tell us, so we don't want to assume. But somehow, some way, this, this guy becomes a, a believer in God. And, and I want you to know that if, if I was in first century uh, Palestine, and, I'm, and I was reading Luke's account here, and I'd come to that, and I didn't know anything, I'd say, you know, you're pulling my leg, right, Luke? Do you know who this guy is, this Cornelius? He is the head honcho, the grand poobah of the Italian regiment. This was the 10th the, the Roman legion that we're talking about here. These are the guys that we know in, in 70 AD when, when uh, Jerusalem then was, was uh, when, the, when the Romans came and literally destroyed the temple so there wasn't one stone on top of another. It was these guys that did that. That was that group. And here is the, uh, the leader of it who's head of this like Navy SEALs of the Roman army. And he's a devout man. I mean, <laughs> how does that happen? And the only possible answer 
you're going to come up with is God. <laughs> Who else could make something like that happen? You can't make up a story like this. But you know why? Why it happened is because God promised it would happen. You go all the way back to Abram. Not even, he wasn't even called Abraham yet. He was still Abram. In chapter 12 of Genesis, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those, anyone who treats you with contempt. Now watch. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And this is now going to be a theme through the whole Old Testament. Joel chapter 2. Verse 28, 32. After this, I'll pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams. Your young men will see visions. I'll even pour my spirit out on male and female slaves in those days. I'll display wonders in the heavens, on the earth, blood, fire, columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness. The moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Then Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we get all the way to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Chapter 5, verse 9 tells us, And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered. And you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. So, our good, great, gracious, and glorious Heavenly Father would use a Roman centurion. See, all of this is going to happen starting with Acts 10. And God is going to use a Roman centurion, when it was the Romans that put Jesus on the cross. And in fact, even there, a Roman centurion who was in charge of making all this happen, we saw that he says in Matthew 27, 54, when the centurion and those with him who were watching, keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that happened, they were terrified and said, truly, this man was the son of God. Now, back to Cornelius. Cornelius did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. Now, he was just a guy who wants to get right with God. He's doing what seems to be right. And then an angel shows up and tells him that he's got to go get Peter. Now, why can't the angel just tell him the gospel? Why you got to go to all this trouble to get Peter? Well, you want to know something? There's only one instance in the Bible where an angel is going to bring forth the gospel. Way back when on a cold winter night in Bethlehem, there was something going on 
And a bunch of shepherds were out in the field. And all of a sudden, <laughs> sky just lit up. And they're terrified and they wonder what's going on. And an angel comes and announces to them, to these shepherds, Behold, unto you is born this day a Savior. A Savior. He's down there in Bethlehem. That's the only time. Because after that, it's going to be men who are going to bring forth, men and women, okay, are going to bring forth the gospel. We see at the end of Matthew, when Jesus is commissioning them, go therefore and do what? And make disciples, right? So it's now up to men, people, us, believers, to share that gospel. That's what we're called to do. So angels, one time. One time. Because that's what started everything. Now it's going to be us. So now we have the man that's going to be the key guy, Cornelius. But we've got to send somebody there. And he sends, of all people, Peter. Now this is going to be really good. At the we have Peter here who's in this place called Joppa. And we find this because of Acts chapter 9. There's a story of Peter who, who um, has this amazing uh, miracle that takes place when he prays for this uh, godly woman by the name of Tabitha or Dorcas. And, sh and she came back from the dead. And the last verse of chapter 9 tells us, this became known throughout Joppa and many believed in the Lord Peter stayed for some time in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. Now, we don't know how long this some time was. But during this time, Peter was praying. Peter was obviously ministering, but he was devoted to prayer. So devoted that he wanted kind of quiet time. And the best time to do that was noon on the top of the roof. Now, if any of you have been in the Middle East, trust me, noon in the Middle East is hot. I mean, it is, it, this is the last place you'd really want to be is on top of a roof because it's, 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 you know, nasty. But it's private. <laughs> no one else is going to bother you up there. Peter wants to be, he wants to, be focused. He wants to get it. He wants to be with the Lord. Prayer is important to him. It's so important he needs to just get away from everybody, everything. Just be with him and the Lord. And yet, here he is, and instantly he gets this really strange vision about unclean animals coming down from heaven of all places and, and a voice telling him to eat. And he said, no, I don't do that. That's, that's, uh, that's unclean. That's, that's against our, our, our faith. And, and yet this voice tells him, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And it says that this happened three times. Now, in the language, in the Greek and, 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 and Hebrew language, uh, they don't have italics and you know, underlined or whatever, to emphasize something. To emphasize something in those languages, you, you repeat it. 
So if you, if you have something and, and say it exactly the same way, you're emphasizing. Jesus, when he would say, truly, truly, I say to you, that's really like, whoa, listen, he's really emphasizing it when he says, truly, truly. To raise something to the third power is like the ultimate. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That, you can't raise anything higher than the third power. That's, that's the ultimate. So for Peter, as he's there and he's seeing this three times, he said, okay, Lord, I got it. Right, time out. Yes, I understand. I don't know what it means, but I know I have to do this, whatever this is. Now, get this. He is in uh, Joppa. Caesarea is about 25 miles, give or take. At, at that time period, you're, that's at least a day's journey. That's, that's quite a haul to make there. Cornelius has sent two men and a soldier to go get Peter because that's what he was told in his vision that he should do this to bring him back. Now, they have now arrived at Peter's house, at the house of Tanner, of, of um, what is the guy's name? Simon. And they were given directions, by the way, by the Lord, so they knew exactly where to go. Here they are, and they arrive just at the moment that Peter has finished this, this episode. Just as he's, he's getting it. By the way, knock, knock, knock. They're down there. Think of the timing. God did it just perfectly, just exactly right. So this also had to get Peter's attention. Now, by this time, of course... Um, Peter, it was too late in the day to go back, so he invites them in. Um, they talk, and now the next day, they're going now to Joppa to do what, um, to meet this Cornelius. You know, there's no, there's no coincidences in, in, in this story. There's, there's a purpose to everything. The same with us, by the way, our lives. But now think about this. Peter could very easily have been already in Caesarea. He could have just been traveling around in there and he could have been, it could have been just on the other side of the street when this happened. Why was it that he had to be a day's journey away? Well, guess what? He's now making this journey back with these three men who are probably going to tell him all about what's been going on there, about their, their, their uh, man that they work for, Cornelius. And, 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 and Peter now is putting two and two together. And, Wait a minute, yes, it's starting to click now. And he, was, he had time to prepare himself for what he was about to do. Because for Peter, this is like swallowing an elephant. I mean, this is really, really running against everything that he had sort of thought in terms of his faith. But now, I am sure, the wheels are starting to turn. He has time. See, God even cares about the way we think. He's working it all together for good. And so we find now, 
in, in verses 34, 35, Peter gets to the house and he says to the people now, now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And he closes in verse 43, all the prophets testify about him through his name. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. Now, <laughs> it's, it's, to us, this might just seem like another book, another nice story in the book of Acts. But I want you to know that this was the ultimate game changer. This encounter at Cornelius's house, birthed in prayer, is going to totally reset the apostles and the spreading of the gospel. The doorway is now wide open. We're not just going to the Jews. It's all humanity. All those promises, all the way back to Genesis 12, are now are going to begin to get fulfilled. And it happens really fast. Many Gentiles are now going to become followers of Jesus. We see a great example of this, by the way, in Acts chapter 13. At the beginning, first verse of chapter 13 talks about, now there's a church at Antioch, which is even further up the Mediterranean coastline from uh, Caesarea. But at this church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. There's a very good chance that three of these five guys were, were probably Gentiles. The, and these, these were leaders. It happened that fast. The outreach to Gentiles is going to stretch now across the entire continent of, of what is now Europe. And of course, now this was going to continue to go to every people group after generation and generation, which is the reason why you are here today. Because of all that. You're here because of Acts 10. Whew. Okay, but why prayer? Why does prayer play such an extremely important role in all this. And the best way I can say, it's because of the gospel. We have become joint heirs with Christ. And we now glorify him by recognizing God's purpose, which is bound by his promises, which therefore should be the focus of our prayers. And I want to recognize today three things that happened in this story that relates to everything we should be praying for. First off, it starts with recognizing that to everything there is a purpose. We see that in Ecclesiastes 3.1. To everything there's a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. 
Romans 8, 28, which we all like to quote, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Now, please, please, please get a hold of this. There's been a lot of things thrown around in Christendom about, you know, purpose-driven life and, and all those kind of things. You know, we should be have purposeful in our ministry and, and, and on our mission, our spiritual uh, maturity. But when God speaks of purpose, he's the one who makes the purpose. And we are shaped for that very thing. The best description is in, in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession now notice, not so that we can be wise, wealthy, and wonderful, but rather that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In short, God's purpose is for God's glory. And his glory is for our good. Now, with that then, God outlines his purpose in his word through promises. We are told in Hebrews 3.14 that we are partners or partakers of Christ. And, and Jesus said in John 16.23, Truly I tell you, anything you ask my Father in my name, he will give you. Asking in the name of Jesus means submitting what you ask to the will of Jesus. By coming to God in the name of Jesus, you're, you're basing your prayers on what he has promised. And that's going to give you the courage to ask. Jesus is, is the clinching argument for every person who draws near to God in his name. 2 Corinthians 1.20 for all the promises of God find their yes in him. So now, it becomes obvious, hopefully, that the Lord uses prayer to fulfill his promises. And we saw that in the book of Acts there. But, but why is that true? It's true because God wills it that way. We're in covenant with him, and, and that means we are active participants and not simply spectators to his purposes. And, and let me give you an example, a city church example of this. Our mission statement here at City Church is to extend the glory of God by making disciples to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you look in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, it said, The harvest is abundant, the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So, God's purpose, as we saw in Genesis 12, 3, is all the people on the earth should be blessed through youth. And it's going to be through us, through Father Abraham's people, the people of God. He promises that the harvest will be abundant. It'll not be a waste of time. It will have success, but to accomplish it, 
It, it, it is not based on techniques or plans or ministries or operations and rallies and, and so-called revivals or snappy, happy worship music or anything man-made. It is, if, if it's not birthed and breathed in prayer. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. No, 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 no. We, we got a better way of doing it. No, you don't. No, you don't. And this is why I say prayer is like spiritual oxygen. It keeps us alive with God. It keeps us in tune with God. If our prayer life seems weak, a little bit empty, we need to get back to basics. What is it that God wants us to focus on? What would bring him glory? And you know where we would find it? In his word. And the best prayers are those that are faithful to being devoted to God's will and purpose. Do you know the best example of that? We just prayed it. The Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer tells us to pray for his glory. His name, his kingdom, his will. And for our good. To serve him faithfully. To ask for provision, forgiveness, protection. All that in the Lord's Prayer. What he tells us to pray. It keeps us from singularly focusing on ourselves and our needs, but looking beyond and being covenant members with Christ in God and recognizing his purposes and acknowledging those promises and thus pray for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, because the church is the bride of Christ. We're joined together with him. His work is our work. Matthew 5, 14, Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and... Give glory to your Father in heaven. God created us for his glory. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who bears my name is created for my glory. God made us all in his image so that we might image forth or reflect his character, his beauty. And therefore, every human being should be living for, the, for God's glory. Which, by the way, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Prayer for his purpose Bound to the promises is because we are in covenant with the Lord himself. Who we are in Christ shows us what we are in Christ 
And this is why we are what we are. I'm going to have to say that again. Who we are in Christ shows us what we are in Christ. And this is why we are what we are. Revelation 4.11 says it better than that. Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. This is what it's all about, folks. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of of the Lord's glory as the waters cover the sea. And the Lord chose a Roman centurion, a bad guy, to represent the Gentiles. And Peter, who even had betrayed Jesus, right? Denied Jesus, but yet took this guy and even told him before the reason why it would be Peter and not Paul and somebody else, there was a reason why it was Peter that is going to be the instrument that's going to bring about this transition that's taking place because Jesus himself told Peter in Matthew 16, 18, you are Peter, on this rock I will build my church. The church that's not just going to be a sect of Judaism, but is going to be to the out the entire world. On this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. God keeps his promises. We need to see our lives in a very different light. Why do some suffer? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does it seem God's not answering our prayers? He is answering our prayers. But he's doing it for his glory. Now I'm going to give you an example from my own life. Some of you already know this. Bear with me. But it is a good example. I was 32 years old. This is a long time ago. I had... I was a, a minister, I was a, a pastor, a bivocational pastor, and suddenly I started to have some kind of pain thing in my right knee. Didn't know what it was. I'm a guy, you know, we, we shake it off, no problem. But it got worse and worse and worse to the point where I was even, I even bought a cane. My wife, the nurse, tells me, Larry, get to the doctor. Ah, I'm a guy. We're going to work through it. Well, by the time I finally went to the doctor, I was almost on my hands and knees getting into the, getting into the doctor's office. They put me in the hospital right away for a week. I am in excruciating pain, the worst pain I've ever had in my life. It was like my, my leg was on fire and, and, and uh, devils are, are hitting it with pitchforks. It was, it was horrible. They could not find anything wrong. They did all these tests, did all these things. We don't know what's wrong with you, Larry. It got so bad, but my wife, who has saved my life, the reason I'm here is because of her, she knew a a rheumatologist that she believed would would be able to 
diagnose what was going on, and she had to work through the other doctors. It took uh, some ways to do it, but eventually she got a hold of this doctor. She didn't get a hold of them. The doctors did. I, they were ready to send me home on, on just these uh, drugs to, to just keep me knocked out because they didn't have any answer for what was going on. And this, this man by the name of Dr. Utzinger shows up at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. You never see a doctor at 5 o'clock. You don't even see him at, by noon. They're all you know, on the golf course by that time. But this guy shows up at the end of the day. He was finished with all his, his stuff. He started to come down. He looked by him, and he realized what was going on with me instantly. It turned out that I had, and still do, by the way, a disease that is extremely rare. Less than 100 people in the world have ever had this. It's so rare that they don't even have a name for it. They just have this, they describe the symptoms. That's, that's it. And he knew what to do, how to treat me. And, and instantly, within a half an hour after he left, I was starting to feel better. I thought, who was that masked man? I mean, that, I want to know this guy because he knows what he's doing. For the next six years, every 28 days, you could, without fail, my knee would swell up. It would be like going back to the hospital again. I'd go to see him. He would do his thing. And I would be okay for another 28 days. Six years this went on. Now, during that time, I am obviously praying. I'm a pastor. I'm praying for other people. They get healed. I pray. Nothing's happening. I'm like, what's going on? This goes on and on. I, I, I mean, I, 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 I don't know how to explain it. I was just so frustrated that God is not hearing my prayers. God's not answering my prayers. I'm crying out to him. But in the meantime, I'm still doing ministry. And one of the ministries I did is I got interested in Russian missions. And I actually made two trips to the USSR, smuggling Bibles. And I came, this is now by 1990. And I realized that what we were going to do, and my wife agreed, we were going to move to the Soviet Union to start working to try and help children because the thing that I had noticed as I was visiting there is that people were desperately concerned about the health of their children. They could not get uh, medicines and things that we have routinely here. And I thought we could make a, a, a bridge here. We could figure out a way to make this happen. So I went to, here it is, every 28 days, I am now at... at uh, my my uh, appointment with Dr. Utzinger, and I, I tell him, by the way, uh, Dr. Utzinger, uh, this is September. We are going to leave. We are going to go and live in the USSR in January. He looks at me and says, Larry, this is a very bad idea. Uh, nobody in that part of the world is going to be able to treat you. You, you don't want to be doing this. This isn't good. This is dangerous. And I said, I said, listen, I, you know, you get close to somebody that you've spent six years, once a month, talking to them. I mean, we got, we knew each other pretty well by this point. And I said, I know this sounds crazy, and it is. I don't have an explanation for it, but I know I'm supposed to do this. He goes, well, okay, see you next month. I showed up next month. And my knee was not swollen. This disease had gone into remission. And he looks at me, he says, well, 
your disease is in remission. And I said, do you have an explanation for that? He said, you probably have a better explanation for that. Now, literally, and that's, that was in October of 1990. I have not had that knee swollen since that time. Not once. Now, that's a nice story. It's a good story. But the best part of it was the fact that this stuck in this guy's head. We went in January. We started this uh, work. My wife is working with another uh, a woman doctor by the name of Andre Graytana. And they are trying to figure out a way to do this. And they, they're, they're doing various things. Lo and behold, Dr. Rudsinger, who is an internationally famous rheumatologist, happened to be in Sweden at a conference. And he thought, gee, that's not very far away. So he asked, can he come visit us? Yes, you can, please. He shows up and he's astounded how primitive things are and how he would like to do something about it. So he takes and gets this Dr. Andra to come to America. He's actually housed her at his home. He got her into CHOP, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, learned the things, went back, started a rehab center that just this year had its 30th anniversary that has impacted hundreds, maybe thousands of children. And not just in, in Latvia, but within that whole region. I mean, as far in, in Ukraine and Russia and even as far as Israel. God was answering my prayers. Because for six years, once a month, I'm talking to this doctor. And we're getting to know each other. And he's learning about my faith. He's learning about what, what, who I am. And I'm learning about him. And we're just, we, we talked about all kinds of things. He got, to, I, we weren't friends. He's a doctor. I'm paying him. But you know what I mean? God brought together to the point where he was actually really curious. What did happen to Larry? Gee, I'm in Sweden. Why don't I go check it out? And it changed literally everything. Now, I just want you to know, God works all things together for good. His good, his will, to those who love God who are called according to his purpose. Did God answer my prayers for six years of suffering? Yes. You betcha. But not the way I thought. He did it his way for his glory to impact an entire region for the glory of God. So I tell you today, love God today. Love his word. Love his glory. Pray his promises and you'll find a peace that passes understanding. For unto him is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from City Church located in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. 
We hope God meets you where you are and doesn't leave you, but changes you through the work of His Son. For additional information, please visit citychurchpa.org.